Chapter Six of More New Arabian Nights: The Dynamiter by Robert Louis Stevenson and Fanny Vondegrift Stevenson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Chapter Six: Narrative of the Spirited Old Lady. I was the eldest daughter of the Reverend Bernard Fanshawe, who held a valuable living in the diocese of Bath and Wells our family a very large one was noted for a sprightly and incisive wit and came of a good old stock where beauty was an heirloom in christian grace of character we were unhappily deficient from my earliest years i saw and deplored the defects of those relatives whose age and position should have enabled them to conquer my esteem and while i was yet a child my father married a second wife in whom strange to say the fanshawe failings were exaggerated to a monstrous and almost laughable degree whatever may be said against me it cannot be denied i was a pattern daughter but it was in vain that with the most touching patience i submitted to my stepmother's demands and from the hour she entered my father's house i may say that i met with nothing but injustice and ingratitude i stood not alone however in the sweetness of my disposition for one other of the family besides myself was free from any violence of character before i had reached the age of sixteen this cousin john by name had conceived for me a sincere but silent passion and although the poor lad was too timid to hint at the nature of his feelings i had soon divined and begun to share them for some days i pondered on the odd situation created for me by the bashfulness of my admirer and at length perceiving that he began in his distress rather to avoid than seek my company i determined to take the matter into my own hands finding him alone in a retired part of the rectory garden i told him that i had divined his amiable secret that i knew with what disfavour our union was sure to be regarded and that under the circumstances i was prepared to flee with him at once poor john was literally paralyzed with joy such was the force of his emotions that he could find no words in which to thank me and that i seeing him thus helpless was obliged to arrange myself the details of our flight and of the stolen marriage which was immediately to crown it john had been at the time projecting a visit to the metropolis in this i bade him persevere and promised on the following day to join him at the tavistock hotel true on my side to every detail of our arrangement i arose on the day in question before the servants packed a few necessaries in a bag took with me the little money i possessed and bade farewell for ever to the rectory i walked with good spirits to a town some thirty miles from home and was set down the next morning in this great city of london as i walked from the coach office to the hotel i could not help exulting in the pleasant change that had befallen me beholding meanwhile with innocent delight the traffic of the streets and depicting in all the colours of fancy the reception that awaited me from john but alas when i inquired for mr fanshawe the porter assured me there was no such gentleman among the guests by what channel our secret had leaked out or what pressure had been brought to bear on the too facile john i could never fathom enough that my family had triumphed that i found myself alone in london tender in years 
smarting under the most sensible mortification and by every sentiment of pride and self-respect debarred for ever from my father's house i rose under the blow and found lodgings in the neighbourhood of euston road where for the first time in my life i tasted the joys of independence three days afterwards an advertisement in the times directed me to the office of a solicitor whom i knew to be in my father's confidence there i was given the promise of a very moderate allowance and a distinct intimation that i must never look to be received at home i could not but resent so cruel a desertion and i told the lawyer it was a meeting i desired as little as themselves he smiled at my courageous spirit paid me the first quarter of my income and gave me the remainder of my personal effects which had been sent to me under his care in a couple of rather ponderous boxes with these i returned in triumph to my lodgings more content with my disposition than i should have thought possible a week before and fully determined to make the best of the future all went well for several months and indeed it was my own fault alone that ended this pleasant and secluded episode of life i have i must confess the fatal trick of spoiling my inferiors my landlady to whom i had as usual been overkind impertinently called me in fault for some particular too small to mention and i annoyed that i had allowed her the freedom upon which she thus presumed ordered her to leave my presence she stood a moment dumb and then recalling her self-possession your bill said she shall be ready this evening and to-morrow madam you shall leave my house see she added that you are able to pay what you owe me for if i do not receive the uttermost farthing no box of yours shall pass my threshold i was confounded at her audacity but as a whole the quarter's income was due to me not otherwise affected by the threat that afternoon as i left the solicitor's door carrying in one hand and done up in a paper parcel the whole amount of my fortune there befell me one of those decisive incidents that sometimes shape a life the lawyer's office was situate in a street that opened at the upper end upon the strand and was closed at the lower at the time of which i speak by a row of iron railings looking on the thames down this street then i beheld my stepmother advancing to meet me and doubtless bound to the very house i had just left she was attended by a maid whose face was new to me but her own was too clearly printed on my memory and the sight of it even from a distance filled me with generous indignation flight was impossible there was nothing left but to retreat against the railing and with my back turned to the street pretend to be admiring the barges on the river or the chimneys of transpontine london i was still so standing and had not yet fully mastered the turbulence of my emotions when a voice at my elbow addressed me with a trivial question it was the maid whom my stepmother with characteristic hardness had left to await her on the street while she transacted her business with the family solicitor the girl did not know who i was the opportunity too golden to be lost and i was soon hearing the latest news of my father's rectory and parish it did not surprise me to find that she detested her employers and yet the terms in which she spoke of them were hard to bear hard to let pass unchallenged i heard them however without dissent for my self-command is wonderful and we might have parted as we met had she not proceeded in an evil hour to criticise the rector's missing daughter and with the most shocking perversions to narrate the story of her flight my nature is so essentially generous that i can never pause to reason 
i flung up my hand sharply by way as well as i remember of indignant protest and in the act the packet slipped from my fingers glanced between the railings and fell and sunk in the river i stood a moment petrified and then struck by the drollery of the incident gave way to peals of laughter i was still laughing when my stepmother reappeared and the maid who doubtless considered me insane ran off to join her nor had i yet recovered my gravity when i presented myself before the lawyer to solicit a fresh advance his answer made me serious enough for it was a flat refusal and it was not until i had besought him even with tears that he consented to lend me ten pounds from his own pocket i am a poor man said he and you must look for nothing farther at my hands the landlady met me at the door here madam said she with a curtsey insolently low here is my bill would it inconvenience you to settle it at once you shall be paid madam said i in the morning in the proper course and i took the paper with a very high air but inwardly quaking i had no sooner looked at it than i perceived myself to be lost i had been short of money and had allowed my debt to mount and it had now reached the sum which i shall never forget of twelve pounds thirteen and fourpence halfpenny all evening i sat by the fire considering my situation i could not pay the bill my landlady would not suffer me to remove my boxes and without either baggage or money how was i to find another lodging for three months unless i could invent some remedy i was condemned to be without a roof and without a penny it can surprise no one that i decided on immediate flight but even here i was confronted by a difficulty for i had no sooner packed my boxes than i found i was not strong enough to move far less to carry them in this strait i did not hesitate a moment but throwing on a shawl and bonnet and covering my face with a thick veil i betook myself to that great bazaar of dangerous and smiling chances the pavement of the city it was already late at night and the weather being wet and windy there were few abroad besides policemen these on my present mission i had wit enough to know for enemies and wherever i perceived their moving lanterns i made haste to turn aside and choose another thoroughfare a few miserable women still walked the pavement here and there were young fellows returning drunk or ruffians of the lowest class lurking in the mouths of alleys but of any one to whom i might appeal in my distress i began almost to despair at last at the corner of a street i ran into the arms of one who was evidently a gentleman and who in all his appointments from his furred greatcoat to the fine cigar which he was smoking comfortably breathed of wealth much as my face has changed from its original beauty i still retain or so i tell myself some traces of the youthful lightness of my figure even veiled as i then was i could perceive the gentleman was struck by my appearance and this emboldened me for my adventure sir said i with a quick beating heart sir are you one in whom a lady can confide why my dear said he removing his cigar that depends on circumstances if you will raise your veil sir i interrupted let there be no mistake i ask you as a gentleman to serve me but i offer no reward that is frank said he but hardly tempting and what may i inquire is the nature of the service but i knew well enough it was not my interest to tell him on so short an interview if you will accompany me said i to a house not far from here you can see for yourself he looked at me a while with hesitating eyes and then tossing away his cigar which was not yet a quarter smoked 
here goes said he and with perfect politeness offered me his arm i was wise enough to take it to prolong our walk as far as possible by more than one excursion from the shortest line and to beguile the way with that sort of conversation which should prove to him indubitably from what station in society i sprang by the time we reached the door of my lodging i felt sure i had confirmed his interest and might venture before i turned the pass-key to beseech him to moderate his voice and to tread softly he promised to obey me and i admitted him into the passage and thence into my sitting-room which was fortunately next the door and now said he when with trembling fingers i had lighted a candle what is the meaning of all this i wish you said i speaking with great difficulty to help me out with these boxes and i wish nobody to know he took up the candle and i wish to see your face said he i turned back my veil without a word and looked up at him with every appearance of resolve that i could summon up for some time he gazed into my face still holding up the candle well said he at last and where do you wish them taken i knew that i had gained my point and it was with a tremor in my voice that i replied i had thought we might carry them between us to the corner of euston road said i where even at this late hour we may still find a cab very good was his reply and he immediately hoisted the heavier of my trunks upon his shoulder and taking one handle of the second signed to me to help him at the other end in this order we made good our retreat from the house and without the least adventure drew pretty near to the corner of euston road before a house where there was still a light burning my companion paused let us here said he set down our boxes while we go forward to the end of the street in quest of a cab by doing so we can still keep an eye upon their safety and we avoid the very extraordinary figure we should otherwise present a young man a young lady and a mass of baggage standing castaway at midnight on the streets of london so it was done and the event proved him to be wise for long before there was any word of a cab a policeman appeared upon the scene turned upon us the full glare of his lantern and hung suspiciously behind us in a doorway there seem to be no cabs about policemen said my champion with affected cheerfulness but the constable's answer was ungracious and as for the offer of a cigar with which this rebuff was most unwisely followed up he refused it point-blank and without the least civility the young gentleman looked at me with a warning grimace and there we continued to stand on the edge of the pavement in the beating rain and with the policeman still silently watching our movements from the doorway at last and after a delay that seemed interminable a four-wheeler appeared lumbering along in the mud and was instantly hailed by my companion just pull up here will you he cried we have some baggage up the street and now came the hitch of our adventure for when the policeman still closely following us beheld my two boxes lying in the rain he arose from mere suspicion to a kind of certitude of something evil the light in the house had been extinguished the whole frontage of the street was dark there was nothing to explain the presence of these unguarded trunks and no two innocent people were ever i believe detected in such questionable circumstances where have these things come from asked the policeman flashing his light full into my champion's face why from that house of course replied the young gentleman hastily shouldering a trunk the policeman whistled and turned to look at the dark windows he then took a step towards the door as though to knock 
a course which had infallibly proved our ruin but seeing us already hurrying down the street under our double burthen thought better or worse of it and followed in our wake for god's sake whispered my companion tell me where to drive to anywhere i replied with anguish i have no idea anywhere you like thus it befell that when the boxes had been stowed and i had already entered the cab my deliverer called out in clear tones the address of the house in which we are now seated the policeman i could see was staggered this neighbourhood so retired so aristocratic was far from what he had expected for all that he took the number of the cab and spoke for a few seconds and with a decided manner in the cabman's ear what can he have said i gasped as soon as the cab had rolled away i can very well imagine replied my champion and i can assure you that you are now condemned to go where i have said for should we attempt to change our destination by the way the jarvey will drive us straight to a police office let me compliment you on your nerves he added i have had i believe the most horrible fright of my existence but my nerves which he so misjudged were in so strange a disarray that speech was now become impossible and we made the drive thenceforward in unbroken silence when we arrived before the door of our destination the young gentleman alighted opened it with a pass-key like one who was at home bade the driver carry the trunks into the hall and dismissed him with a handsome fee he then led me into this dining-room looking nearly as you behold it but with certain marks of bachelor occupancy and hastened to pour out a glass of wine which he insisted on my drinking as soon as i could find my voice in god's name i cried where am i he told me i was in his house where i was very welcome and had no more urgent business than to rest myself and recover my spirits as he spoke he offered me another glass of wine of which indeed i stood in great want for i was faint and inclined to be hysterical then he sat down beside the fire lit another cigar and for some time observed me curiously in silence and now said he that you have somewhat restored yourself will you be kind enough to tell me in what sort of crime i have become a partner are you murderer smuggler thief or only the harmless and domestic moonlight flitter i had been already shocked by his lighting a cigar without permission for i had not forgotten the one he threw away on our first meeting and now at these explicit insults i resolved at once to reconquer his esteem the judgment of the world i have consistently despised but i had already begun to set a certain value on the good opinion of my entertainer beginning with a note of pathos but soon brightening into my habitual vivacity and humour i rapidly narrated the circumstances of my birth my flight and subsequent misfortunes he heard me to an end in silence gravely smoking miss fanshawe said he when i had done you are a very comical and most enchanting creature and i can see nothing for it but that i should return to-morrow morning and satisfy your landlady's demands you strangely misinterpret my confidence was my reply and if you had at all appreciated my character you would understand that i can take no money at your hands your landlady will doubtless not be so particular he returned nor do i at all despair of persuading even your unconquerable self i desire you to examine me with critical indulgence my name is henry luxmore lord southwark's second son i possess nine thousand a year the house in which we are now sitting and seven others in the best neighbourhoods in town i do not believe i am repulsive to the eye 
and as for my character you have seen me under trial i think you simply the most original of created beings i need not tell you what you know very well that you are ravishingly pretty and i have nothing more to add except that foolish as it may appear i am already head over heels in love with you sir said i i am prepared to be misjudged but while i continue to accept your hospitality that fact alone should be enough to protect me from insult pardon me said he i offer you marriage and leaning back in his chair he replaced his cigar between his lips i own i was confounded by an offer not only so unprepared but couched in terms so singular but he knew very well how to obtain his purposes for he was not only handsome in person but his very coolness had a charm and to make a long story short a fortnight later i became the wife of the honourable henry luxmore for nearly twenty years i now led a life of almost perfect quiet my henry had his weaknesses i was twice driven to flee from his roof but not for long for though he was easily over-excited his nature was placable below the surface and with all his faults i loved him tenderly at last he was taken from me and such is the power of self-deception and so strange are the whims of the dying he actually assured me with his latest breath that he forgave the violence of my temper there was but one pledge of the marriage my daughter clara she had indeed inherited a shadow of her father's failing but in all things else unless my partial eyes deceived me she derived her qualities from me and might be called my moral image on my side whatever else i may have done amiss as a mother i was above reproach here then was surely every promise for the future here at last was a relation in which i might hope to taste repose but it was not to be you will hardly credit me when i inform you that she ran away from home yet such was the case some whim about oppressed nationalities ireland poland and the like has turned her brain and if you should anywhere encounter a young lady i must say of remarkable attractions answering to the name of luxmore lake or fonblanc for i am told she uses these indifferently as well as many others tell her from me that i forgive her cruelty and though i will never more behold her face i am at any time prepared to make her a liberal allowance on the death of mr luxmore i sought oblivion in the details of business i believe i have mentioned that seven mansions besides this formed part of mr luxmore's property i have found them seven white elephants the greed of tenants the dishonesty of solicitors and the incapacity that sits upon the bench have combined together to make these houses the burthen of my life i had no sooner indeed begun to look into these matters for myself when i discovered so many injustices and met with so much studied incivility that i was plunged into a long series of lawsuits some of which are pending to this day you must have heard my name already i am the mrs luxmore of the law reports a strange destiny indeed for one born with an almost cowardly desire for peace but i am of the stamp of those who when they have once begun a task will rather die than leave their duty unfulfilled i have met with every obstacle insolence and ingratitude from my own lawyers in my adversaries that fault of obstinacy which is to me perhaps the most distasteful in the calendar from the bench civility indeed always i must allow civility but never a spark of independence never that knowledge of the law and love of justice 
which we have a right to look for in a judge the most august of human officers and still against all these odds i have undissuadably persevered it was after the loss of one of my innumerable cases a subject on which i will not dwell that it occurred to me to make a melancholy pilgrimage to my various houses four were at the time tenantless and closed like pillars of salt commemorating the corruption of the age and the decline of private virtue three were occupied by persons who had wearied me by every conceivable unjust demand and legal subterfuge persons whom at that very hour i was moving heaven and earth to turn into the street this was perhaps the sadder spectacle of the two and my heart grew hot within me to behold them occupying in my very teeth and with an insolent ostentation these handsome structures which were as much mine as the flesh upon my body one more house remained for me to visit that in which we now are i had let it for at that period i lodged in a hotel the life that i have always preferred to a colonel geraldine a gentleman attached to prince florizel of bohemia whom you must certainly have heard of and i had supposed from the character and position of my tenant that here at least i was safe against annoyance what was my surprise to find this house also shuttered and apparently deserted i will not deny that i was offended i conceived that a house like a yacht was better to be kept in commission and i promised myself to bring the matter before my solicitor the following morning meanwhile the sight recalled my fancy naturally to the past and yielding to the tender influence of sentiment i sat down opposite the door upon the garden parapet it was august and a sultry afternoon but that spot is sheltered as you may observe by daylight under the branches of a spreading chestnut the square too was deserted there was a sound of distant music in the air and all combined to plunge me into that most agreeable of states which is neither happiness nor sorrow but shares the poignancy of both from this i was recalled by the arrival of a large van very handsomely appointed drawn by valuable horses mounted by several men of an appearance more than decent and bearing on its panels instead of a trader's name a coat of arms too modest to be deciphered from where i sat it drew up before my house the door of which was immediately opened by one of the men his companions i counted seven of them in all proceeded with disciplined activity to take from the van and carry into the house a variety of hampers bottle baskets and boxes such as are designed for plate and napery the windows of the dining-room were thrown widely open as though to air it and i saw some of those within laying the table for a meal plainly i concluded my tenant was about to return and while still determined to submit to no aggression on my rights i was gratified by the number and discipline of his attendants and the quiet profusion that appeared to reign in his establishment i was still so thinking when to my extreme surprise the windows and shutters of the dining-room were once more closed the men began to reappear from the interior and resume their stations on the van the last closed the door behind his exit the van drove away and the house was once more left to itself looking blindly on the square with shuttered windows as though the whole affair had been a vision it was no vision however for as i rose to my feet and thus brought my eyes a little nearer to the level of the fanlight over the door i saw that though the day had still some hours to run the hall lamps had been lighted and left burning plainly then guests were expected and were not expected before night 
for whom i asked myself with indignation were such secret preparations likely to be made although no prude i am a woman of decided views upon morality if my house to which my husband had brought me was to serve in the character of a petite maison i saw myself forced however unwillingly into a new course of litigation and determined to return and know the worst i hastened to my hotel for dinner i was at my post by ten the night was clear and quiet the moon rode very high and put the lamps to shame and the shadow below the chestnut was black as ink here then i ensconced myself on the low parapet with my back against the railings face to face with the moonlit front of my old home and ruminating gently on the past time fled eleven struck on all the city clocks and presently after i was aware of the approach of a gentleman of stately and agreeable demeanour his light paletot which was open did not conceal his evening clothes and he bore himself with a serious grace that immediately awakened my attention before the door of this house he took a pass-key from his pocket quietly admitted himself and disappeared into the lamp-lit hall he was scarcely gone when i observed another and a much younger man approaching hastily from the opposite side of the square considering the season of the year and the genial mildness of the night he was somewhat closely muffled up and as he came for all his hurry he kept looking nervously behind him arrived before my door he halted and set one foot upon the step as though about to enter then with a sudden change he turned and began to hurry away halted a second time as if in painful indecision and lastly with a violent gesture wheeled about returned straight to the door and rapped upon the knocker he was almost immediately admitted by the first arrival my curiosity was now broad awake i made myself as small as i could in the very densest of the shadow and waited for the sequel nor had i long to wait from the same side of the square a second young man made his appearance walking slowly and softly like the first muffled to the nose before the house he paused looking all about him with a swift and comprehensive glance and seeing the square lie empty in the moon and lamplight leaned far across the area railings and appeared to listen to what was passing in the house from the dining-room there came the report of a champagne cork and following upon that the sound of rich and manly laughter the listener took heart of grace produced a key unlocked the area gate shut it noiselessly behind him and descended the stair just when his head had reached the level of the pavement he turned half round and once more raked the square with a suspicious eye-shot the mufflings had fallen lower round his neck the moon shone full upon him and i was startled to observe the pallor and passionate agitation of his face i could remain no longer passive persuaded that something deadly was afoot i crossed the roadway and drew near the area railings there was no one below the man must therefore have entered the house with what purpose i dreaded to imagine i have at no part of my career lacked courage and now finding the area gate was merely laid to i pushed it gently open and descended the stairs the kitchen door of the house like the area gate was closed but not fastened it flashed upon me that the criminal was thus preparing his escape and the thought as it confirmed the worst of my suspicions lent me new resolve i entered the house and being now quite reckless of my life i shut and locked the door from the dining-room above i could hear the pleasant tones of a voice in easy conversation 
on the ground floor all was not only profoundly silent but the darkness seemed to weigh upon my eyes here then i stood for some time having thrust myself uncalled into the utmost peril and being destitute of any power to help or interfere nor will i deny that fear had begun already to assail me when i became aware all at once and as though by some immediate but silent incandescence of a certain glimmering of light upon the passage floor towards this i groped my way with infinite precaution and having come at length as far as the angle of the corridor beheld the door of the butler's pantry standing just ajar and a narrow thread of brightness falling from the chink creeping still closer i put my eye to the aperture the man sat within upon a chair listening i could see with the most rapt attention on a table before him he had laid a watch a pair of steel revolvers and a bull's-eye lantern for one second many contradictory theories and projects whirled together in my head the next i had slammed the door and turned the key upon the malefactor surprised at my own decision i stood and panted leaning on the wall from within the pantry not a sound was to be heard the man whatever he was had accepted his fate without a struggle and now as i hugged myself to fancy sat frozen with terror and looking for the worst to follow i promised myself that he should not be disappointed and the better to complete my task i turned to ascend the stairs the situation as i groped my way to the first floor appealed to me suddenly by my strong sense of humour here was i the owner of the house burgloriously present in its walls and there in the dining-room were two gentlemen unknown to me seated complacently at supper and only saved by my promptitude from some surprising or deadly interruption it were strange if i could not manage to extract the matter of amusement from so unusual a situation behind this dining-room there is a small apartment intended for a library it was to this that i cautiously groped my way and you will see how fortune had exactly served me the weather i have said was sultry in order to ventilate the dining-room and yet preserve the uninhabited appearance of the mansion to the front the window of the library had been widely opened and the door of communication between the two apartments left ajar to this interval i now applied my eye wax tapers set in silver candlesticks shed their chastened brightness on the damask of the tablecloth and the remnants of a cold collation of the rarest delicacy the two gentlemen had finished supper and were now trifling with cigars and maraschino while in a silver spirit lamp coffee of the most captivating fragrance was preparing in the fashion of the east the elder of the two he who had first arrived was placed directly facing me the other was set on his left hand both like the man in the butler's pantry seemed to be intently listening and on the face of the second i thought i could perceive the marks of fear oddly enough however when they came to speak the parts were found to be reversed i assure you said the elder gentleman i not only heard the slamming of a door but the sound of very guarded footsteps your highness was certainly deceived replied the other i am endowed with the acutest hearing and i can hear that not a mouse has rustled yet the pallor and contraction of his features were in total discord with the tenor of his words his highness whom of course i readily divined to be prince florizel looked at his companion for the least fraction of a second and though nothing shook the easy quiet of his attitude i could see that he was far from being duped 
it is well said he let us dismiss the topic and now sir that i have very freely explained the sentiments by which i am directed let me ask you according to your promise to imitate my frankness i have heard you replied the other with great interest with singular patience said the prince politely i your highness and with unlooked-for sympathy returned the young man i know not how to tell the change that has befallen me you have i must suppose a charm to which even your enemies are subject he looked at the clock on the mantelpiece and visibly blanched so late he cried your highness god knows i am now speaking from the heart before it be too late leave this house the prince glanced once more at his companion and then very deliberately shook the ash from his cigar that is a strange remark said he and a propos de beau i never continue a cigar when once the ash is fallen the spell breaks the soul of the flavour flies away and there remains but the dead body of tobacco and i make it a rule to throw away that husk and choose another he suited the action to the words do not trifle with my appeal resumed the young man in tones that trembled with emotion it is made at the price of my honour and to the peril of my life go go now lose not a moment and if you have any kindness for a young man miserably deceived indeed but not devoid of better sentiments look not behind you as you leave sir said the prince i am here upon your honour assure you upon mine that i shall continue to rely upon that safeguard the coffee is ready i must again trouble you i fear and with a courteous movement of the hand he seemed to invite his companion to pour out the coffee the unhappy young man rose from his seat i appeal to you he cried by every holy sentiment in mercy to me if not in pity to yourself be gone before it is too late sir replied the prince i am not readily accessible to fear and if there is one defect to which i must plead guilty it is that of a curious disposition you go the wrong way about to make me leave this house in which i play the part of your entertainer and suffer me to add young man if any peril threaten us it was of your contriving not of mine alas you do not know to what you condemn me cried the other but at least i will have no hand in it with these words he carried his hand to his pocket hastily swallowed the contents of a phial and with the very act reeled back and fell across his chair upon the floor the prince left his place and came and stood above him where he lay convulsed upon the carpet poor moth i heard his highness murmur alas poor moth must we again inquire which is the more fatal weakness or wickedness and can a sympathy with ideas surely not ignoble in themselves conduct a man to this dishonourable death by this time i had pushed the door open and walked into the room your highness said i this is no time for moralizing with a little promptness we may save this creature's life and as for the other he need cause you no concern for i have him safely under lock and key the prince had turned about upon my entrance and regarded me certainly with no alarm but with a profundity of wonder which almost robbed me of my self-possession my dear madam he cried at last and who the devil are you i was already on the floor beside the dying man i had of course no idea with what drug he had attempted his life and i was forced to try him with a variety of antidotes here were both oil and vinegar for the prince had done the young man the honour of compounding for him one of his celebrated salads and of each of these i administered from a quarter to half a pint with no apparent efficacy 
i next plied him with the hot coffee of which there may have been near upon a quart have you no milk i inquired i fear madam that milk has been omitted returned the prince salt then said i salt is a revulsive pass the salt and possibly the mustard asked his highness as he offered me the contents of the various salt cellars poured together on a plate ah cried i the thought is excellent mix me about half a pint of mustard drinkably dilute whether it was the salt or the mustard or the mere combination of so many subversive agents as soon as the last had been poured over his throat the young sufferer obtained relief there i exclaimed with natural triumph i have saved a life and yet madam returned the prince your mercy may be cruelty disguised where the honour is lost it is at least superfluous to prolong the life if you had led a life as changeable as mine your highness i replied you would hold a very different opinion for my part and after whatever extremity of misfortune or disgrace i should still count to-morrow worth a trial you speak as a lady madam said the prince and for such you speak the truth but to men there is permitted such a field of license and the good behaviour asked of them is at once so easy and so little that to fail in that is to fall beyond the reach of pardon but will you suffer me to repeat a question put to you at first i am afraid with some defect of courtesy and to ask you once more who you are and how i have the honour of your company i am the proprietor of the house in which we stand said i and still i am at fault returned the prince but at that moment the timepiece on the mantel-shelf began to strike the hour of twelve and the young man raising himself upon one elbow with an expression of despair and horror that i have never seen excelled cried lamentably midnight oh just god we stood frozen to our places while the tingling hammer of the timepiece measured the remaining strokes nor had we yet stirred so tragic had been the tones of the young man when the various bells of london began in turn to declare the hour the timepiece was inaudible beyond the walls of the chamber where we stood but the second pulsation of big ben had scarcely throbbed into the night before a sharp detonation rang about the house the prince sprang for the door by which i had entered but quick as he was i yet contrived to intercept him are you armed i cried no madam replied he you remind me appositely i will take the poker the man below said i has two revolvers would you confront him at such odds he paused as though staggered in his purpose and yet madam said he we cannot continue to remain in ignorance of what has passed no cried i and who proposes it i am as curious as yourself but let us rather send for the police or if your highness dreads a scandal for some of your own servants nay madam he replied smiling for so brave a lady you surprise me would you have me then send others where i fear to go myself you are perfectly right said i and i was entirely wrong go in god's name and i will hold the candle together therefore we descended to the lower story he carrying the poker i the light and together we approached and opened the door of the butler's pantry in some sort i believe i was prepared for the spectacle that met our eyes i was prepared that is to find the villain dead but the rude details of such a violent suicide i was unable to endure the prince unshaken by horror as he had remained unshaken by alarm assisted me with the most respectful gallantry to regain the dining-room 
there we found our patient still indeed deadly pale but vastly recovered and already seated on a chair he held out both his hands with a most pitiful gesture of interrogation he is dead said the prince alas cried the young man and it should be i what do i do thus lingering on the stage i have disgraced while he my sure comrade blameworthy indeed for much but yet the soul of fidelity has judged and slain himself for an involuntary fault ah sir said he and you too madam without whose cruel help i should be now beyond the reach of my accusing conscience you behold in me the victim equally of my own faults and virtues i was born a hater of injustice from my most tender years my blood boiled against heaven when i beheld the sick and against men when i witnessed the sorrows of the poor the pauper's crust stuck in my throat when i sat down to eat my dainties and the crippled child has set me weeping what was there in that but what was noble and yet observe to what a fall these thoughts have led me year after year this passion for the lost besieged me closer what hope was there in kings what hope in these well-feathered classes that now roll in money i had observed the course of history i knew the burgess our ruler of to-day to be base cowardly and dull i saw him in every age combined to pull down that which was immediately above and to prey upon those that were below his dullness i knew would ultimately bring about his ruin i knew his days were numbered and yet how was i to wait how was i to let the poor child shiver in the rain the better days indeed were coming but the child would die before that alas your highness in surely no ungenerous impatience i enrolled myself among the enemies of this unjust and doomed society in surely no unnatural desire to keep the fires of my philanthropy alight i bound myself by an irrevocable oath the oath is all my history to give freedom to posterity i had forsworn my own i must attend upon every signal and soon my father complained of my irregular hours and turned me from his house i was engaged in betrothal to an honest girl from her also i had to part for she was too shrewd to credit my inventions and too innocent to be entrusted with the truth behold me then alone with conspirators alas as the years went on my illusions left me surrounded as i was by the fervent disciples and apologists of revolution i beheld them daily advance in confidence and desperation i beheld myself upon the other hand and with an almost equal regularity decline in faith i had sacrificed all to further that cause in which i still believed and daily i began to grow in doubts if we were advancing it indeed horrible was the society with which we warred but our own means were not less horrible i will not dwell upon my sufferings i will not pause to tell you how when i beheld young men still free and happy married fathers of children cheerfully toiling at their work my heart reproached me with the greatness and vanity of my unhappy sacrifice i will not describe to you how worn by poverty poor lodging scanty food and an unquiet conscience my health began to fail and in the long nights as i wandered bedless in the rainy streets the most cruel sufferings of the body were added to the tortures of my mind these things are not personal to me they are common to all unfortunates in my position an oath so light a thing to swear so grave a thing to break an oath taken in the heat of youth repented with what sobbings of the heart but yet in vain repented as the years go on an oath 
that was once the very utterance of the truth of god but that falls to be the symbol of a meaningless and empty slavery such is the yoke that many young men joyfully assume and under whose dead weight they live to suffer worse than death it is not that i was patient i have begged to be released but i knew too much and was still refused i have fled i and for the time successfully i reached paris i found a lodging in the rue saint jacques almost opposite the val de grace my room was mean and bare but the sun looked into it towards evening it commanded a peep of a green garden below a bird hung by a neighbour's window and made the morning beautiful and i who was sick might lie in bed and rest myself i who was in full revolt against the principles that i had served was now no longer at the beck of the council and was no longer charged with shameful and revolting tasks oh what an interval of peace was that i still dream at times that i can hear the note of my neighbour's bird my money was running out and it became necessary that i should find employment scarcely had i been three days upon the search ere i thought that i was being followed i made certain of the features of the man which were quite strange to me and turned into a small cafe where i whiled away an hour pretending to read the papers but inwardly convulsed with terror when i came forth again into the street it was quite empty and i breathed again but alas i had not turned three corners when i once more observed the human hound pursuing me not an hour was to be lost timely submission might yet preserve a life which otherwise was forfeit and dishonoured and i fled with what speed you may conceive to the paris agency of the society i served my submission was accepted i took up once more the hated burthen of that life once more i was at the call of men whom i despised and hated while yet i envied and admired them they at least were whole-hearted in the things they purposed but i who had once been such as they had fallen from the brightness of my faith and now laboured like a hireling for the wages of a loathed existence i sir to that i was condemned i obeyed to continue to live and lived but to obey the last charge that was laid upon me was the one which has to-night so tragically ended boldly telling who i was i was to request from your highness on behalf of my society a private audience where it was designed to murder you if one thing remained to me of my old convictions it was the hate of kings and when this task was offered me i took it gladly alas sir you triumphed as we supped you gained upon my heart your character your talents your designs for our unhappy country all had been misrepresented i began to forget you were a prince i began all too feelingly to remember that you were a man as i saw the hour approach i suffered agonies untold and when at last we heard the slamming of the door which announced in my unwilling ears the arrival of the partner of my crime you will bear me out with what instancy i besought you to depart you would not alas and what could i kill you i could not my heart revolted my hand turned back from such a deed yet it was impossible that i should suffer you to stay for when the hour struck and my companion came true to his appointment and he at least true to our design i could neither suffer you to be killed nor yet him to be arrested from such a tragic passage death and death alone could save me and it is no fault of mine that i continue to exist but you madam continued the young man addressing himself more directly to myself were doubtless born to save the prince and to confound our purposes 
my life you have prolonged and by turning the key on my companion you have made me the author of his death he heard the hour strike he was impotent to help and thinking himself forfeit to honour thinking that i should fall alone upon his highness and perish for lack of his support he has turned his pistol on himself you are right said prince florizel it was in no ungenerous spirit that you brought these burthens on yourself and when i see you so nobly to blame so tragically punished i stand like one reproved for is it not strange madam that you and i by practising accepted and inconsiderable virtues and commonplace but still unpardonable faults should stand here in the sight of god with what we call clean hands and quiet consciences while this poor youth for an error that i could almost envy him should be sunk beyond the reach of hope sir resumed the prince turning to the young man i cannot help you my help would but unchain the thunderbolt that overhangs you and i can but leave you free and sir said i as this house belongs to me i will ask you to have the kindness to remove the body you and your conspirators it appears to me can hardly in civility do less it shall be done said the young man with a dismal accent and you dear madam said the prince you to whom i owe my life how can i serve you your highness i said to be very plain this is my favourite house being not only a valuable property but endeared to me by various associations i have endless troubles with tenants of the ordinary class and at first applauded my good fortune when i found one of the station of your master of the horse i now begin to think otherwise dangers set a siege about great personages and i do not wish my tenement to share these risks procure me the resiliation of the lease and i shall feel myself your debtor i must tell you madam replied his highness that colonel geraldine is but a cloak for myself and i should be sorry indeed to think myself so unacceptable a tenant your highness said i i have conceived a sincere admiration for your character but on the subject of house property i cannot allow the interference of my feelings i will however to prove you that there is nothing personal in my request here solemnly engage my word that i will never put another tenant in this house madam said florizel you plead your cause too charmingly to be refused thereupon we all three withdrew the young man still reeling in his walk departed by himself to seek the assistance of his fellow-conspirators and the prince with the most attentive gallantry lent me his escort to the door of my hotel the next day the lease was cancelled nor from that hour to this though sometimes regretting my engagement have i suffered a tenant in this house end of chapter six read by don w jenkins rancho san diego california shaggybark.blogspot.com